to church. Praise God. How's everybody doing? Glad to be here? All right. You sure about that? So you can leave if you're not. I mean, doors wide open both ways. Swings both ways. Come on. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning. My heart is burning. I told my wife, I said, you need to go do transition because my heart's burning. We're going to go way too long if I get up there and start flowing with the worship team. So I, I pushed her up there. I'm like, honey, go pray. Um, so I get to, uh, I get to just release uh, what God is speaking uh, in in my heart right now to you. And so we've uh, we last week. Who was here last week? Raise your hand up. Okay, raise your hand up if you weren't here last week. Okay, uh, everyone, with their, pray for all those with their hand raised, and uh, just release life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I I don't like giving people a hard time for not coming to church, but you still need to come to church. You know. Um, like, we don't guilt trip people, but it is a, a value and a passion to have an honor and a zeal for the house of the Lord and gathering with his people. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And trust me, there's some Sundays I wish I could take off, um, but I can't. So I'm here. But I, I, uh, I am always honored to just share what burns in my heart um, for, for the church and for the city and for the body of Christ. And so this morning, I want you to open your Bibles up uh, just wherever the Lord leads you. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14. Um, some people didn't catch that, and they're like, okay, yes, Lord, Holy Spirit, which way the wind's blowing? <sighs> Whoa, just open right up. Who opened up to Luke 14, led by the Spirit? Anybody? Woo, glory, you must have been here for service. <laughs> so we read this scripture last week, and uh, I want to read it again. And I, I really just, I, I want to just uh, intro a little bit with what's burning inside of my heart um, and uh, I want to talk about, I, I truly believe the church needs to rise up right now and be love and become love to a broken world. I'm glad there's three people that agree with that on the front row. Um, I'm just going to preach to the front row the rest of the service. So forgive me if I ignore you, but y'all are just dead. Okay. <laughs> How many think that it would be just beautiful? How many are hopeful that the church would arise and just begin to just behold the gaze of the Father and, and it would bring healing to who we are so that we could bring healing to humanity. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just, I'm over, I'm done with sin management sermons that bring guilt and condemnation. I'm done with an environment of victimization where we just talk about everything that we're doing wrong, I mean, how about we just start doing stuff right and displaying love to humanity? And, and I'm tired of the elitism, the religious, political, and toxic environment where we're just jockeying for position in the walls of the church and we're trying to be somebody because we don't know we're already somebody. And, and, and we just need to behold the gaze of the Father and capture the heart of God and see the world differently. And, and, you know, stop the exclusiveness of our gatherings, small and big. You know, we've got our, our deacon chairs up on the stage. Come on, somebody. <laughs> who, are, who are we inviting to our table? Like, who is welcome at our table? Is it the lowly, the hurting, the broken, or the religious, the political, the elite? 
Is it the rich? Is it the wealthy? Or is it also the poor? Are we welcoming the impoverished? Are we, are we satisfied with our sin management sermons? Now, I, I haven't even started preaching yet. So, but we need to get off on the right foot, y'all. Like you guys are just, I mean, you got to feel what I'm saying. You got to feel me. Are we satisfied with where we're at now? Because there is, and, and I mean, obviously, we're in a city that just suffered a great tragedy, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit as I share. But I just want to share my heart with you. I preached on some things last week about coming to the table. You know, uh, I think sometimes we, we thrive and we overemphasize and we even worship. We have a tendency to worship the energy in a big gathering, in a temple gathering, in a stadium and, and, and that's, that's okay that we, we love, like I believe in the temple gathering. I believe in the Sunday big gathering, the big conference gathering. I believe in worshiping in stadiums and all that. Um, but we can't overemphasize and worship that itself, the energy of that. We can't forget what God can do in the transformation that takes place sitting at a table. Where we don't just live side by side, you know, like you stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane, praise God. We don't want anyone to mess with our lane, you know. It's like you stay a Republican and I'll stay a Democrat. Or you stay a socialist, come on somebody, and I'll stay a capitalist. How about we get, get out of the ditches that we live in and we come to the middle road of the kingdom of God and we learn to love. Well, there's about three of you that are saved this morning. I'm praying, God, would you just save these people in front of me now? Like, why, why don't we allow the walls to actually come down and we don't just come together in a room and, and yeah, rah, rah and all that. Let's sit at a table and learn from one another, learn each other's hearts and live face to face, heart to heart, eye to eye. And don't be so presumptuous and broad stroke and label someone with a political affiliation or a, a racial distortion or whatever you want to call it, but sit down at a table and actually learn how to love. I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I read Luke chapter 24, where there's two men having a Bible study. And their Bible study teacher is Jesus himself. Have you ever been in a Bible study and you had a really good teacher? And Jesus is just coming off the pages? Well, these two guys, and tradition says one of them might have been Luke, and he's writing about this. These two guys are learning from Jesus, the glorified Messiah, okay? So the, he looked a little different. They're learning from Jesus, and they don't even realize who's teaching them the Bible. There are a lot of people that have their heads so deep in the Scripture, and they're reading their Bible wrong with the light off, the light is Jesus, that they don't even know who they're reading about. They don't even know the one who wrote the book. Come on, somebody. I mean, you got people on the street corners quoting scripture, bringing condemnation and plaguing people with toxic religion, giving them a distorted view of who God is. And I'm going to tell you, till my dying breath, I will fight for truth to see that toxic, disgusting image of who God is completely kicked down like Dagon, like an idol, like a sacred cow. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not some angry retributive God. It's a God of mercy and justice who loved the poor, who sat with the broken, who sat at the table with prostitutes, task, tax collectors, task collectors, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus loved broken 
people. It's about time the church follows the one that we're supposed to be following. Open up our doors, open up our table and say there's a spot for the most wicked, hurting, broken person. I mean, you just think of the most, uh, the most oppressed person right now that's in Las Vegas. They're not too far from the hope of God. They're not, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Come on. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities. Do you believe that? Nor principalities, powers, height, depth, nor any other created thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In people's darkest hour, in their most brokenness of soul and heart, Jesus is right there waiting to pour his love in the earth. Jesus is right there looking for you and I to represent him, to represent him to a broken and hurting and dying world. And sometimes it happens in the most simple ways, coming to a table. Luke chapter 24, these two guys are having a Bible study with Jesus and they have no idea. Jesus said in in John 5, 39, he said to the Pharisees, the Bible answer men of the day, you search the scriptures and you don't realize they testify of me. You search the scriptures diligently, but you don't even realize they're pointing to me. You you think you can have life in searching the scriptures alone, but if the scriptures don't lead you to Jesus, if you're reading the Bible with the light off, all you're going to see is shadows. But when you turn the light on, in the light of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1.3 says he is the exact representation of the being of the Father. God looks just like Jesus. He's always looked just like Jesus. We just didn't know it. We like playing in the shadows because when the light comes, it, it, it shows all the gnarly stuff that's inside of us. But what comes in the light is not that we think that we're horrible people, but we realize that all the gnarly stuff that needs healing is not us. In fact, that God's given us a new heart and he's given us a new way that we can be whole and we can be healthy and we can rise up in life. But I'm tired of the victim mindset. The, I, I'm tired of spiritual welfare in the church. Like we, we sit around and, and, you know, pat each other and you're broken and I'm broken. Let's just stay broken all the rest of our life. No, let's get healed. Let's be honest with our brokenness. But let's say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, pour in your healing. Lord, teach us to rise up. Like Jesus looked at the man that in John chapter 5 says, rise up, take your bed and walk. In other words, rise up. Take the thing that determined where you went and you determine where it goes. Whatever the mat is that you sit on, your sin, your anger, whatever it is, take up the thing that had dominion over you and you have dominion over it. Come on. You see, the gospel is that Jesus is Lord and when we surrender to his lordship, something changes. Something changes. God gives us a new heart and now it's a heart he can mold and he can shape and he can cause us to have a perspective change. When we look at people, we see worth, we see value. When we look at the most broken people, we don't think, well, I remember I was like that one day, but now I belong to the elite squad called the church. No. We should serve our best places at our tables for the broken, the lame, the maimed, the blind, the hurting, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the orphans, the widows. That's the gospel. 
gospel. Isn't the gospel you have to tell people about the wrath of God and, and the justice of God? No, the gospel is that the justice of God is he said, I'm going to make everything right again with my love and my forgiveness. And I'm going to reconcile the world to myself in Christ. God was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself. God wasn't distant, far away, turning his back on Jesus. He was looking right dead in the face of darkness, sin, and death, and defeating the devil. In Oh, come on, somebody. Jesus exemplified the love of God. He didn't absorb the wrath of God. The love of God displayed in the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus came to show us what God looks like because we've been playing in the shadows. And sometimes we like to stay in the shadows. So we, we orient our gatherings on, on, you know, how to manage our darkness. How do we maintain the sin, the things that we have issues with, instead of realizing that we've been made new and that we're sons and daughters and that we have a new identity, we have a new heart. And we can love again. And so instead of saying, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane, and say, hey, there's a whole new high road that God's calling us to. And it's a road we can call people up to rise up, to be strong. And we can see walls of racism come down. We can see walls of bigotry come down. We can see walls of hatred come down. And some of these walls are invisible because we love to broad stroke and paint people in a corner because we can push them away. You know, it's easy to keep people at a distance in a big gathering. But when you sit at a table, read through the Gospels. Jesus, every time he sat at a table, it says he was relaxed. Reclined and relaxed. I need a recliner, honey. I want to be Christ-like. I'm pulling my lazy boy up to the table. It's settled. I'm following Jesus. Come on, somebody. It said, read through the Gospels. Jesus sat at the table and he reclined. And Mary... The woman with the alabaster box, he just let her go. He just let her do her thing. And, and, and they rebuke, they're like, Jesus, do you know what manner of woman this is? He's like, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Reclined at the table, defenses come down. You can keep people at a distance in a big gathering, but at the table, you're not just staying in your lane and someone else is staying in their lane. It's now heart to heart, eye to eye, face to face. Can you imagine our families if we sat around the table again? Imagine the wholeness it would bring. There's times I literally fiend for it, not just for food, and I am hungry. Can the ushers pass around some muffins right now? I'm sorry, I just had a trans moment, transparent moment just now. Oh, gosh, and someone brought a Subway sandwich in. This whole place smelled like Subways. We had this, who brought the sandwich in? Let's just have an altar call for that person. Rochelle's like, it smells like onions in here. Someone had a sandwich back there. Lord, have mercy on your soul for that. How many know that, that we, we've got to get back to the table? And it ain't just about good food. It is about good food. But it, the food becomes sustenance to our souls because we're actually in relationship with one another heart to heart. How many times do, do we just assume someone's perspective on life without knowing their heart? We do it with people we've known for 30 years. And we keep labeling them in the same, put them in the same corner. In essence, we're literally binding one another with empty words of deceit. We choose to believe a lie about who somebody is because we don't even know the truth about who we are. 
And why is that? Because we have failed to realize that God is not who he is, that he, he is not this solo God in heaven that chooses to love sometimes if you do the right thing, if you worship just right and don't piss him off. And if your country doesn't have a covenant with him, God rest your soul. He's going to pour, he's going to send hurricanes and, and he's going to watch out the next, you know, like when all the tsunamis came, all these people came out of the woodworks and they're proof texting the scripture, reading it out of context with their light off. They're reading the Bible with the light off saying that was God's judgment. You know, that is straight up, straight up blasphemy. God's judgment is not sickness, oppression, and pain. It is light, mercy, and healing. Sin is not a legal juridical problem. It's an ontological problem. What does that mean? It means, I just gave you a new word if you know what that means. It's a state of being. In other words, uh, when I'm sick, I don't go to the court system and ask the judge to judge me. I go to the doctor and say, I need a physician. That's the judgment of God is wholeness. The justice of God is not some schizophrenic flip side of God like the angry abusive dad that comes home drunk and wants to take his wrath out on his kids. The justice of God is another side of the sword of the love of God that he says mercy triumphs over judgment. He's a God of love. He's not a God that loves. He's a God that is love. Love is not a verb that God does. It's a noun that God is. Apparently, DC Talk did a song that love is a verb, and I just totally ruined their song. Sorry, DC Talk. God that is alone all by himself, something has to trip his love wire. Worship, the virgin in the volcano, the perfect sacrifice. But the God revealed in Christ is the sacrifice of his son for all mankind. The blood was not for God. The blood was for us. You know, when it gets that quiet in the church, <laughs> can't help but to just feel awkward. The blood that Jesus shed was not for God. It wasn't to appease his angry father. It was to heal his orphan kids. It was to bring love and forgiveness and reconciliation and, and, and reorientation of who we are at the core of our being. And then we know who we are and then we, it's infectious to all of humanity. Then we see one another the way we really are and then we can really know and be known. And we don't keep each other at distance but we can say I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin, all the deep places that I won't allow God in that area of my heart. But when we come and sit at a table, something happens. Back to Luke 24. I haven't even read the text. I probably won't. But in Luke 24, in Luke 24, they're walking with Jesus, the master, the rabbi, the teacher. And they're walking with him studying the Bible, and they don't even realize that Jesus is literally walking right with them on the road. And it wasn't until they sat at a table. I want you to turn to Luke 24 real quick. Luke chapter 24. This is so powerful. Luke chapter 24. Thank you, Jesus. 
So they're walking with him. And, and Jesus kind of lays a little rebuke on him. And they wanted him to stay. They didn't realize who was with them, but they longed for his presence. They longed for a God they didn't know. They long, how many know there's people walking the journey of life and they long for God they don't even know? And, and they want a revelation of who God is. Like it's not enough. They have tough questions and the church is, doesn't have good answers, frankly. Well, God just allowed it for a reason. Well, why did my kid die? Because God wanted another angel in heaven. Well, I don't like that God. If God is responsible for that, then I'm an atheist. Because that's not who God is. And Jesus didn't reveal a God that's all controlling. He, re he revealed a God that is so loving that he doesn't do control. Before anything was created, it was just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for God to create us, he had to make something that wasn't himself, which means there is a possibility for evil. There's a possibility Adam and Eve could turn away from life itself. But if there wasn't a possibility for evil, then there wouldn't be a possibility for love because love is a choice. Love necessitates relationship. Are you hearing me? God is not all controlling. He's loving, and he chooses not to control everything. He, he literally permits things to go to, like, according to gravity. Hello? Is a perfect example. Well, I tripped and fell and broke my head. It must have been God's will. No, it was gravity. Like, God made that, and it's just part of natural laws. Are you hearing me this morning? But instead of just, like, why, God? Why did this happen? Why? Instead of W-H- why? I had to think about how to spell why just now. I don't know why. I'm a horrible speller, man. Can't even spell three letter, letter words, dude. Somebody one time was like, you know, your spelling has nothing to do with your intelligence. I'm like, that's right. Come on, somebody. Another time I heard something like that, and I was like, yes, Lord. Someone's like, you know, when you enjoy good food, it says you're, it just, you know, says that you're really intelligent. I'm like, yes, glory to God. Don't just ask why, 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 W-H-Y, but how about yes, Y-E-S, like yes, God, I can pour out healing and pour out mercy and I can represent who you really are because you're not a God who is responsible for this stuff. We're responsible for this stuff. Come on. And we need as the church to be responsible to bring healing to a broken world and represent who God really is because he's not an ogre. He's not a monster. He's a loving father, son, and Holy Spirit that has invited us to a table. He's invited us to be known. He's invited us to know who he is, to know his heart, not just from a distance, but like John the Beloved resting his head on the heart of the Messiah, hearing every heart beat. And when that happens, it changes us. Something changes at the table. Something changes on the inside. We see things differently. We see people differently. Something really powerful about taking on the heart of God for people and learning what love is. You know, I was thinking about my daughter, Sarah. Where's she at? Sinner. She's probably serving in the back. My daughter, Sarah, anytime she, can she hear me? Come in here, Sarah. Come in here, Sarah. Sarah. Sarah Wexler, come here. I'm talking about you. So pretty. 
I was thinking about this, Sarah. I'm, I'm talking about how people learn God's heart for humanity. And one time my daughter was watching this, this video, this documentary about these orphan kids in China that literally they don't, parents don't want them because they're disabled. And, and Sarah just wept. And it was like, she's like, I want to go there and hold those babies. She said, yes. She didn't say why. She said, yes. I want to be the arms of Jesus. See, instead of saying, why does it just seem like we're in a desert? Let's, let's dig a well. Let's see the rain that's coming down from heaven. Let's see that there's divine life. We have breath in us. Come on. Let's breathe life into somebody else. God's given us hope. God's given us faith. God's given us love. Let's pour it out on humanity. So instead of saying, why, why, why? My daughter took on the heart of God and said, I want to be the arms of Jesus to those precious babies that nobody else wants. You know, I was thinking about some of the young people that are here during worship. You know, you, you guys go on mission trips. How many remember, how many have been on a mission trip and it literally, you're, a piece of your heart is still in that country or place you went? Yeah. Only like four of you in the church has been on mission trips. Y'all need to get saved. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what happens when we allow the master to touch our hearts to like clay in his hands, just form and shape it? And, and a lot of times it doesn't just happen in the big gatherings. It happens at the table. I'm going to read this to you real quick in, uh, in Luke 24. I, I've, I've just been so distracted. Luke chapter 24, he, he's, you know, revealing who he is to them. And then look what it says in verse 30 of Luke 24. When he was at the table with them, they didn't know who he was. They didn't realize it was Jesus. It says, when he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Wow. Jesus wasn't just revealed in their sweet Bible study that they had but he was ultimately revealed at a table. You know, there are broken people that we might be inviting to church, which is great, but let's invite them to our table. Because God invited us to his table. God invited all of humanity to his table. Last week I shared this icon with you. It's a Russian icon uh, from the 15th century by Rublev. And it, it exemplifies the Holy Trinity. And it's the, the story in Genesis 18, the three angels that appeared uh, to Abraham in the text they are mentioned as God, as man, uh, and uh, as angels. And uh, the, the early church saw that as a type and a shadow pointing God revealing himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, and so this, in this beautiful picture here, actually, if you guys have it, if you could put it up because this is too small to look at here, but this is an icon of the three angels from Genesis 18. And the Father is on the left side. Uh, Jesus is in the center, and the Holy Spirit's on the right. And I want to I share a really powerful metaphor with you, but they're, in just a moment, but they're sitting at a table. And what's really powerful about this is that in the original icon that's in Russia, you see the little center part that has the, uh, the little square? I don't know if you guys can see that. But the little center part that has the square, in the original, 
they, they found glue right there. And so they inspected this substance that was on there, and it was glue. Um, and no, the author was not sniffing, sniffing glue, if that's what you're thinking. Shame on you. And so here's what the scholars said about this art. They said about this icon, they said, we believe that in the original icon, there was actually a mirror there. And what the artist was conveying, inspired by God, was that you would see yourself sitting at the empty spot at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God has invited you to his table. Why do we have this elitist mentality where we're sitting on this invitation and we have taken the envelope and, and that we've created and we've wrote on the, on the outside for the elite but if we open up and just rip that envelope off that we've created with our own cultures, ways, and understanding, and we'd see it was literally written for all of humanity. Come broken. Come blind. Come hurting. Come prostitutes. Come on. Come tax collectors. Come all witches and warlocks. The invitation is for all of humanity, not just the elite. That picture is a picture that all of humanity can come and be healed, be whole, receive life, because Jesus is what they need. I mean, like, what happens when we get this revelation is we start inviting people to our table that no one else wants to invite. Inviting the broken, the hurting. Jesus came to show us what God looks like, and this is how he lived his life. He lived his life looking for the misfits, the mavericks. I mean, looking and longing and chasing after them. Walking up to Zacchaeus, like, what's up, Zacchaeus? Up in that tree, little short man. He didn't say that, but that's my paraphrase. Little shorty, what's up, shorty? That's probably what he said. He's like, yo, I'm coming to your house today. We're going we're gonna to eat. We're going to come to a table. He didn't say, come to the temple. Let me show you how to pray like a real rabbi does. I believe in inviting people to church, but if all we're doing is inviting them to church, but we're not inviting people to our table, or we're not gathering around the table, then something ain't right because we're living side by side when we're meant to live face to face. I want to live face to face. I want to I live face to face with my wife and my kids first, and let, let ministry flow out of that. Healthy ministry should flow out of family. If I'm not loving my wife, the other day I was like, honey, am I a bad husband? I'm like, just keep it real. I won't be mad. Safe place. Safe place. Come on. You know, you and your spouse, you got to develop that. So you tell me anything you want right now. I swear I won't get mad. Never works though, huh? <laughs> Are you serious? Seriously? I'm like, I want to know, like, is there areas that I can, can I love you better? Like, can I? Can I speak with you with more words that honor you? And I, I, am I a bad dad sometimes? Like when I snap at my kids, I want to I wanna love them with the heart of the master. I want to love them with the heart of God. I want to live face to face and heart to heart. And when we come to God's table, as we're going to come to the table of the Lord in a minute, and we partake of his body and his blood, Let's come to life. Let's come to love. Let's come and let him heal. We need his mercy. We need his love, church. We need to gather. And if all we do is gather with people that are just like us, then we, don't, we miss the whole point of what unity really is. Unity is diversity. Unity is not possible without diversity. Unity is when diversity harmonizes and becomes a symphony. 
We see things differently, and that's okay. That's the way we're supposed to live because we all have a peace. We all have a different assignment in the earth. Hello? I want to give you in closing before we uh, come to the table of the Lord. You can dim the lights. And you know what? Instead of closing with that song, Chris, we'll just, we'll just put on some worship. So go ahead and just put on something that's instrumental. It, it, those of you that are watching online, I pray that God's presence just floods wherever you are right now. But as we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to, to see this illustration. Honey, would you come up here? And Josiah, come up. Put that down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you for a minute. I want you to come up. Now, in the early church, you just stand right here in the middle because you're the boss. Come on, somebody. She paid me to say that. I want you to turn this way. Thanks, son. The Lord was really touching my boy's heart during worship. He was sitting there like this. And we prayed over him. He just started shedding tears. You love that, don't you, buddy? Love the presence of God. He has a tender heart in the presence of the Lord. Here's what the early church said. They said, we're trying to describe this beauty of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this life that we've been invited to. If you could put on some that doesn't have lyrics, that'd be better. Instrumental, please. Sorry, it's distracting. It's a musician, worship leader in me. I want to start singing the song. <laughs> I'm trying to talk. So they're trying to, uh, they're trying to convey what this thing that we've been invited into. Okay, this is so powerful. They said the Father represents the gaze of love that is given. Okay, I'm representing the Father. God the Father, the fount of the Trinity, is representation of the gaze of love that is given. The Son, you're the Son. God the Son, Jesus, is representative of the gaze of love that's received. And the Holy Spirit beautiful, lovely wife represents the gaze of love that is given back. So there's this circle of love and communion. It's what the early church called the divine dance, the perichoresis, this flow of life, the way we were created, relate to be relational, not to be isolated, but to come into this place. And sometimes how we come into this place of God's life is sitting at a table with other people relating heart to heart. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't mean that God and Jesus were side by side and the Holy Spirit was somewhere in there, not side by side. The word with is pros in the Greek. It literally means face to face, turn towards each other. God the Father, God the Son, the love. The early church would, would describe the Holy Spirit as the love that was between the Father and the Son. You've been invited into that into being the focus of his love. I mean, can you imagine if we just get this understanding of who God is? God is love. It's not a verb that God does. It's a noun that he is. He is love because he is perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who wants to come into this circle? I swear, if one of you walk up, you get slain in the spirit if you stand right here. God has called us to sit at the table.